0: Every individual is part of the same human family. I'm talking about we were created by God. We were made by one being, and we are connected to one another because of his creative work. I realize within that family there are the saved and the lost, the regenerate, the unregenerate, the born again and those who are not born again. But ultimately, in a human humanity sense, we are all part of the same family created by God, as we read in Genesis one And this linkage, it binds us together. It came from God's mind. It flowed through his creative hands, anthropomorphically speaking. And each person, regardless of their relationship to the creator, has to decide how to interact with other fallen people, Our family members. Welcome to the podcast. I am Rick Thomas. You're listening to Your Daily Drive. Thank you so much for joining me for this podcast. If you want to read it, I would love for you to do that. Go to our website. Look for this article. The title is, How You React to Fallen People Reveals What You Think About God. We have been in a a socially heated, intensified, amped up culture for the last few years, and it just seems as though things are are not going to level out or or shrink back any at all for the near future. I just don't know, but I sense that things are going to continue to be as heated and intense as it has been, if not more intense. And that's why I want to talk about this idea of relating to the human community, and I'd Don't want to talk about brothers and sisters in Christ communicating, but I want to talk about the entire human community. So it applies to any relationship that you may have, whether the person is lost or saved, because, again, we all come from the same creative being, from the same creative hands. And because of that, we're all made in the image of God. Therefore, it is vital for us to think about how we interact with each other, especially in this overheated climate that we have these days. I would love for you to read the article, and if you want to learn more about relationships and communication I have several articles that are linked inside this one, and so you can uh, use it, and you can spend many weeks studying just from this point of departure. It would also make an excellent resource for a small group. It would be fantastic for a family to sit down and to talk about these ideas, because if you have children, if they're in school, they're relating to people uh, who are not like them And some of those differences are are stark and intense, and it would be helpful for a dad and a mom to lead their children through this idea about our human linkage. The fact of the Lord's creation of us in His image and connecting us to one family, now it doesn't mean that we will always agree on everything, and you already know that, but that is why... It is imperative that we take time to reflect on how we do communicate with other people. No two people will entirely lockstep with each other, and nor should they. We, we don't want groupthink. We don't want a shared belief system in the sense that we are believing exactly the same things at every point. Diversity doesn't have to be a bad word. But as you move out to the larger community, it becomes exponentially more improbable that the grander human family will be of one mind about everything, about anything, it seems. But our differences should not blind us to the fact that we all are in the same family. And so if you put an accent mark on what I'm communicating with you through this podcast, my appeal to you would be put the accent mark on the fact that we are part of the same family. Now, naturally, Adam's tumble in the Garden of Eden, it set the stage for disagreement. His fallenness affects all of us, and there will be times when we cannot agree with each other for whatever reason— And because of the complexity of the disagreements and our fallen natures, there must be an agreed-upon way to disagree. We have to be civil. We need a covenant of discourse, and that covenant of discourse has to be that we are the family of God regardless of our affiliations or our preferences. Because without this bond, we will splinter ourselves by submitting to any number of lesser authorities who will have control of our lives. And what I'm suggesting here applies across the board, to our global community, bring it down a notch, our national community, bring it down even more, our familial community and our random and eclectic individual connections. But the farther you go up this relational hierarchy from individual connections to a global community, the more intense the difficulties become, and you all know this quite well. Each person's call is to start with themselves, making a personal, a unique assessment of of whether you will submit to God's authority over your life. Will you submit to God's sovereignty, which minimally means he will govern how you address others in his family? Now, I know that everybody will not do this. Everybody will not buy into this, but I'm not talking to everybody. I'm talking to you personally. And what we don't want to do, and what I hope you won't do as you listen to this podcast, is that the impulse with many people will be to think about someone else within their relationship context— But as far as a relational starting point is concerned, I really want you to think about yourself privately, you, yourself, and God, you all interact with this, and, and just ask yourself, am I willing to submit to God's sovereignty, how he governs? my attitude, my thoughts, as I address other people within his family. You will not be able to make global changes until you make personal ones. And so each family member, dad, if you're talking to uh, your children, mom, if you're talking to your children, you really want to drive this point home, especially if your children are old enough, like eight, nine, ten and older, where they have relational conflict in their lives. You want to create that habit. You want to instill the habit in their lives of always addressing themselves first. Working through relational challenges always starts with an individual's heart and how he or she will submit to God. Your submission to him does not mean everything will be okay with others. And that even makes the point of submitting to him more relevant and more urgent because your submission to him doesn't mean that everybody else is going to follow suit. Addressing horizontal relational problems starts with how you're going to relate to God. You cannot be out of step with him and expect to be in the right step with others. And so as your heart falls in line with God and his word, things will begin to happen to you like, you will begin to grow in affection toward his creation, and most definitely we need that. An example of this is if if you love the father of any family, like you have affection for a father of a family, well, you more than likely are going to respect his children as well. But the opposite of that is if you don't like that father over there across the cul-de-sac or somewhere in the neighborhood or somewhere in the church, you don't like that man, you don't like that father, it will be challenging for you to like his children. This linkage of affection with a human family illustrates how you will think about and react to God's global family. Now, a practical assessment that you can make today is to think about how you relate to those closest to you. Now, for most of you, it will be your family, the people within the, the four walls of your home. And how you interact with your family members, it provides clues to how you respond to those outside your family. Kind begets kind. Type begets type. If you are a loving, helpful, and humble friend with those close to you, guess what? That is going to spill out to God's broader community. Now, some folks will tell you that they can get along with others, but not with their family. And as you listen to them, you will hear them talk from a victim vantage point as though all the fault is in their family, that other person. Whenever a person talks about relationship problems by letting you know what others did to them while not speaking to the possibility of any of their guilt, no matter how small, minuscule it may be, you have a misguided person on your hands who could be tinkering with delusions. I've told our children that How they relate to each other inside our home reflects how their future marriage and family will look. They will carry who they are to their future family, and if they have not learned how to problem solve within complicated personal relational constructs as children, they will have a hard time doing it later. Too many people live in the delusion that Changing their current relational connections will make life better for them. Well, it will. You can get a divorce and go on to the next one. It will make life better for you for a while. But unless they make practical changes, there will be different iterations of similar dysfunctions in future relationships. If you ask our children what... What well, one of the worst things that I would tell them when they had relational dust-ups with each other, they would say, quote, Daddy would always say, work it out. One of them would come to me, letting me know that there was an issue with a sibling. And like most adults, they started with what the other person did to them. It would be exceptional for them to say, hey, Dad. I did this, and sibling one, two, or three reacted this way to me. Nearly every case, they were little prosecutors letting me know about their victimization and how I must deal with the offender. And I would say to the complaining child, you go and work it out. Which from their perspective, if you ask them this... They would say it was just an acute form of punishment. The complaining child would return to the fray with the other sibling. It would be exceptional for them to ever come back to me for more input. There were a few cases where they could not work it out, but I don't remember any of those instances, honestly, because there were so few of them. The standing line was, and, and they will also tell you that if they had a dust-up with each other, there were times where they didn't even bother to come to me. They went ahead and worked it out. Today, and, and people would affirm this, people who know them. In fact, some people, uh, I, I've had, I've had people look at our children showing affection for one another, like so on Instagram, for example, or maybe Facebook. And I had a lady tell me one time that that was uh, that 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 was a what do you call it? That you we created that it was a pose that we we scripted that. But actually, said no, actually that's not true. That's how they relate to each other. They hug each other and they want to spend time with each other all the time they have a deep affection for each other and they never stay mad with each other ever absolutely ever i'm not sure of all the ways they worked it out or all the things that they did but they learn to resolve conflict to the point that there is little of it in our home today now granted part of how they learn to do this is by the modeling of their parents we did not give them a blank slate with work it out scratched across the top of it. They have seen Rick and Lucia work it out many times. And part of the deal that's going on here, one of the movies, I think the title of the movie is uh, Kelly's Heroes. That might not be the right title, but it's Donald Sutherland, and his character was Oddball. And he smoked a lot of weed, and he, he filled his tank, this is World War II, filled his tank shells full of paint, and so when he would go into the town and and shoot his shells from his tank, it would splatter paint all over the wall. Anyway, he was a drugged-out hippie dude. But he had this line in this movie, and the the line was, no negative waves. No negative waves, Moriarty, no negative waves. And that's been a standing line in our family, and it's never been permitted. Complaining has never been permitted, and that's part of how they have realized that they have to work it out because complaining, grumbling is just not permitted. You see, we knew that who they were as kids today, or back then when they were younger, would be what they exported to others tomorrow. If you have internal chaos You must make the necessary changes or you're going to export that turmoil to others. We wanted our children to learn how to work it out because we assumed that they would marry in the future. And guess what? They would marry a sinner. Yes, a guest. It was vital for them to get their relational problem-solving reps in before that helpful day. And so they had many repetitions, many, many of working it out. Too many folks on social media platforms have not made this connection. The connection is who they are is what they export. I mean, it's kind of like biblical, 645, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Some of these folks are angry people on social media, spilling out their frustration to God's community even strangers. You hear it in their tones, their frustrations, their lack of discretion, self-control. The state of our country or the horrendous things they see on the internet are not the causes for what they say on their platforms. And if you say anything to them, the typical reply is that their anger is righteous, I have seen so much righteous anger in my life, especially on social media. Righteousness is all over social media, spilling from the hearts of God's redeemed children. I hope that these frustrated people will be more reflective while asking others about their tones, their righteousness. Perhaps they are not as righteous as they want to believe. Everybody... I mean, honestly, everybody cannot be that righteous. I mean, think about it. Does does, does Facebook or whatever social media platform you get on, the Christians I'm talking about, does that seem righteous to you? Is there just righteousness flowing, leaping off those platforms? You know, before I put myself in the camp of the righteous, I think I would do a little more investigation. And so if you do desire to invest your, investigate yourself regarding how you interact with others, whether in your family or God's human family, there are three common ways folks respond to these relational opportunities. Now I am sure that you can think of others and if you can, it would be fantastic if you shared those with us on our free community forum. I would love to hear other ways that people respond to what I am calling relational opportunities. But the reason I'm sharing these 3 with you because these are the 3 that our pastor shared with us last week in a sermon. And I have a link to the sermons here if you want to go and listen to it and the date here when he preached that sermon. But I want to share these three ways that people commonly respond to, the, to God's family. One is the passive. This person wants to be left alone. They do not perceive their connection to the human family or how it's not possible to live as though you're not part of the main no man is an island, as John Donne tells us in Meditation 17. No matter how much the passive person likes to detach himself from the fray, it's not possible. It's not realistic. It's not reality. Bearing your head in the sand does not abate the problems. The passive, the hider, the isolator is guilty by his inaction. But not only guilty by inaction, casualties will continue to mount, go and make disciples. We can't be passive. And in the context of relationships, a passive Christian is an oxymoron. And so the first type of person of the three common ways that folks respond to each other is you have the passive person. The second one is the aggressive The angry person I'm talking about, and I'm not talking about righteous anger, even though righteousness is spilling out all over Facebook, but the angry person will sit back, I will not sit back, rather, but enter the fray, and too often they have a ready, fire, aim, approach to relational problems. Their snarky or impatient comments have a similar effect as the passive person, and it is this— Casualties continue to mount. And so, if you are a passive person who prefers to hide and isolate, well, you're guilty of inaction and casualties will mount. But if you are the aggressive person, you're the angry person as exhibited by snarky and impatient comments, or maybe there's another descriptor that you have, similar result casualties will continue to mount. Rather than passively permitting things to continue, this person becomes part of the problem by their frustration. Injustice is not just. Creating injustice in response to what you disdain is not a solution. And then you have a third person, the rational. The balanced individual sees the offenses in their local or extra-local families, but chooses not to sit back passive or jump in with both angry feet, be aggressive. They keep in mind that their opponents are their brothers and sisters, humanly speaking. Though their actions are out of line with God's teaching, they can speak against the crimes but not denigrate a fellow family member. This person's key is how they want someone to address them in similar straits, and typically that's what you will find with most most of these rational people. This is the key to a lot of their thinking. They want someone to address them who are in similar offensive straits, to address them uh, the way they are uh, to address the rational person the way the irrational person is addressing them. I think I said that correctly. A rational person deals with relationships biblically. They understand the two great commandments and how to live them out practically. Loving your neighbor as you love yourself is treating others the way you want them to treat you. This kind of relational attitude toward a fellow human being is transformative and it calls the kind favor of God down on the person who chooses to live this way. The rational person also knows that they may not change the crimes they see in their neighborhood or their nation, but the biblical person strives not to become the very thing they despise. They have seen too many folks turn into a unique evil iteration of the very thing that troubles them. Hating hate with more hate makes you hateful, hurtful, and unhelpful to humanity. Yeah, I said that, all those H's in there. That was pretty good, though. Let me say it again. Hating hate with more hate makes you hateful, hurtful, and unhelpful to humanity. The rational person also feels the stinging temptation to justify, to rationalize, to blame their harsh responses on the evil they are confronting. When you mix truth with untruth, it creates a fiction that leads to delusions. Our loyalty to ourselves can be so intense that we don't want to take that look into the mirror. The impulse is to re-edit the truth That's that mixture of truth and untruth. But the the truth that we're re-editing is the truth about ourselves. And if that happens, you will step onto a path that will grow darker with each self-re-edit. A couple of questions for you. What do your interactions within your family reveal about you? Go back inside those four walls We're not talking about the grander, broader human family, but the local family specifically inside your house. What do your interactions within your family reveal about you? Now, the best way to answer this question is to let them answer it for you. Ask your spouse. Ask your child if you have one. Ask your siblings. Siblings, you can play too. Now, perhaps you need to preface your query with something like this. You could say this to the person that you're asking because some relationships are tense and and there's a lack of trust in the relationship because if I tell you what I am thinking, it's only going to escalate. And so maybe you could preface your desire to find out how they interpret your interactions with the family, you could preface it like this. If you knew I would not retaliate against you or hold a grudge and you had assurances of total freedom to speak freely, how would you answer this question? Then you ask them to share your tendencies and impulses toward them, especially when you don't get what you want. In those critical moments when you don't get what you want, what are your tendencies? What are your impulses according to your family's assessments? And you prefaced it with you're not going to retaliate or hold a grudge. You're going to give them total freedom to speak freely. Now, if you want to explore your leadership competencies more fully, what if you answer a similar question that I just gave you about your interactions with family members, but this time apply it to the global community? What do your interactions within the human family reveal about you? Perhaps you can be, begin with your neighborhood, maybe your local church, your work environment, extended family members. Also, add social media iterations, uh, interactions rather, and other relational contexts where you engage God's creative work, the human family. And one of the ways you can do it on social media is just go back and read through. You know the last. The comments you've made for the last two weeks or 30 days. A substantial study about God making us in His image would serve you well. If you need a book study, if you want a book, uh, we'd be glad to recommend one for you. You can ask on our community forums. But if you don't see the racist and the rioter and the righteous person similarly, meaning made in God's image, You need to promptly address this matter because how you think about a person determines how you respond to them, and sadly, too many of us do not see the value of God's work, his creative work, humanity, as much as we see Adam's fallenness. Both are true. We're made in the image of God, and we're fallen creatures. Both are true, but only one should form our primary presupposition. You've been listening to the podcast, Your Daily Drive. The article that I'm sharing with you is titled, How You React to Fallen People Reveals What You Think About God. Here's a question or two, if I can work through them before we wrap up. Question number one, what are your tendencies? Are you given to passive, aggressive, or rational responses toward others? And then to tease that out a little bit, in what specific and practical way do you need to change? What is your plan? Who will you tell? Now, this would be an excellent discussion point in some small group of friends. What are your tendencies? Because some people will be passive. They just want to be left alone. The passive Christian is an oxymoron. We are told to penetrate our culture, to go and make disciples. Some people in the group will be passive, some people within the family. Some will be more aggressive. Those people are there too. And then, hopefully, you have some rational folks within the group. Question number two, what are the differences between how you relate to your micro family within the four walls versus your macro family, the greater, broader community? Some people are more agreeable with those who are outside the home, and you'll hear that. Some people will retort and say, well, I can get along with people outside the home, so I don't have a problem with them. Well, you need to investigate that because there's something wrong. You're not consistent. If you can get get along with people outside the home but not inside the home, then there's something wrong. It's not all in your lap. It's not all your fault. But there's something that you need to address. And by the way, I give three possible answers to that, and because of time, I won't be able to get into it, but three causes of why a person can get along with people outside of the home, but not get along well with people inside the home. And you'll find it under the call to action section of this article that I'm sharing with you. And if you want to read it, again, How to React to Fallen People Reveals What You Think About God. If you want to talk to us about this or anything else, please ask. We have free and private forums. We hope to see you there. Thanks for listening.